spot on there. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006. And currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded since then. Although you can find on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label, full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. It's Andy N again, live from Spoken Label. Back on Skype again tonight, and we've got um, a poet all the way over in Galway on Skype tonight. And this one's a kudos to my good friend, Bella Kenyon, because Bella's referred this poet over to me, because um, she's got a book pamphlet out and Bella's pom- um, label in March. So, okay, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody and tell them who you are? And where you come from and where your writing started, and we'll take it from there. Hi, um, Andy. Thank you very much. And um, my name is Attractor Faye, and I come from a place called Kilowairn, which would be um, in North East Galway. Um, and I now live in a place called Corandola, which is um, East Galway, not so much North. And... I'm a, I'm a psychotherapist, and I'm a mother to three children. And I, I've always written, I used to write as a child, but I um, started to um, dedicate myself to writing a bit more, learning the craft of writing about three years ago. And I returned to college and um, took a master's in writing. Oh, fantastic. Quit. Fantastic. Now, I could, I could definitely recommend people doing stuff like taking a master's lady in your writing there. Because my partner is um, Amanda, and you want to know this. And she, did, she just finished a master's off and did a degree just before that in writing. And it certainly helped Amanda out massively. Did. And she and sat very near me at the moment and was wondering, a <laughs> big smile on her face. But did you find that, seriously, in your case, when you first started to take your master's a few years ago, did it help you a lot when you were writing, do you think, in hindsight? Well, looking back, I, I had applied for three masters, and I had applied for writing a few years earlier, and then I went on. I was about to start a course of philosophy, and then I, I got ill, and I didn't continue. So I was actually intending to go back, and I just happened to apply for writing, which is something I always wanted to do, not necessarily a master's in writing, but what I had wanted to do was um, learn the craft, learn the craft to editing poetry because I knew I wrote and I knew I had a rhythm and mm. I knew this is what I enjoy doing. It's For me it has always been a self-reflective sort of practice and I was even as a child quite reflective. So I got um, I got I got the Masters and I thought oh gosh I'm going to do, the-. well actually all three accepted me and wow. now I had a dilemma which would I choose so I went ahead with the writing because it was something I knew that I had wanted as a teenager, but it wasn't at the time, you know, um, writing w- wouldn't have been encouraged. I, so I trained and qualified as a nurse. Um, so now I've got an opportunity to relive something I'd always wanted to do. Oh, so brilliant, brilliant. I, I went ahead and I 
how I found it helpful one way or another was I, I wanted to learn the class. I was lost because I was the um the the class was mostly young people and um everybody was under thirty except myself and one other person. Oh wow and he before. So it was very challenging because I hadn't got a BA degree either in English or literature and I also have some type of dyslexia that can't be explained, but that's okay. It yeah. never stopped me um, getting to where I wanted to go, but it was I was quite challenged with it. I have two children with dyslexia, and uh, they've both done quite well. Um, so I thought, well, I can't use that as an excuse. So I just kept trying, but it was it was it was very challenging to to be in a class where you had this um, competency in in people years younger than you, and um, I felt very inadequate, but I, I knew also that I was older now. I wasn't going to get this chance again. So I either persevered and pulled out and or pulled out. <clears throat> and that wasn't going to be an option. So I thought, even if I fail this, I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And something began, something began to develop. It's like when I got past, I think it was perseverance when I thought, I'll just keep going. And I had encouraging lecturers, you know, and I did fiction, non-fiction, and poetry, and then I had seminars, and I, I just, I loved the, I loved that year. It was like the best thing I could have ever done for myself as a woman. I mean, I have done other trainings as a nurse, as I said, and as a psychotherapist, but this was for my own, you know, soul, soul in the sense of essence as a woman. Yeah, of course. Okay. And I, didn't have, I didn't have ambition to be a writer or anything or a poet. I just wanted to learn the skill for myself because it's a self-reflective process, as I said, for me. And I didn't have the ambition, so it, it also allowed me to absorb or learn what I needed to form myself on my own journey. Yes, of course. Now, I know from, obviously, what you've been telling me, obviously, off mic is, obviously, like your, your family was very correct. You come from a very creative family, really, don't you, Aureen, when you were certainly growing up? Well, I think my mother would have been my mother would have been creative, and I think I suppose I wouldn't have probably seen my father as creative. But if I look back now, because of course, in hindsight, you know, being a farmer, there's something very creative about the whole process of the cycles, the rhythm, and all of that. I was usually influenced. Like I was born in the '60s, so we didn't have technology, then we didn't have um, televisions, right? And so you you were immersed in this world, and that's all we knew. We we did have a radio. We had a, a record player at the top of the radio, and oh, my mother just put on vinyl um, albums every so often. But mostly it was her singing and that. But there was something very very creative. And it's only now, later in life, that I can look back and realize that farm was like totally in my you know in my soul. Really, it's yeah, completely. You know, yeah, I do. So I was a child in the seventies, so. I came along yeah. in 72, and in my case, I didn't see a TV till I was 10 nearly, and the colour TV was until I was 15, so yeah, I know exactly what you mean, so yeah, completely so with that one. So. that, so it was full of creativity, but in terms of being creative, my mother was like a, a seamstress, she was like, a, um, she knitted, sewed, um, and she did for other people, people would come to her to make stuff, she was brilliant with making hats, then she was very involved with the community, and so she was a very creative woman, but she was a woman who women at that time couldn't work. So um, they had to be at home. So um, 
she put all her energy into that, you know, I mean, decorating the house, even carpentry work. She did everything. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, of course. Now, I didn't get learning from her, I have to say that. I didn't, I, you know, I, I resisted. I mean, she wanted to teach me everything, and I was like, so, but I did my own thing, and I used to write. I think that grew out of reading. Yeah, yeah. And I, listen to fairy tales, our stories being told, and yeah, I always had, I, I used to be, I was told I had a wide imagination, so I, <clears throat> I think I had. Yeah, brilliant. I had, yeah. because I lived on a farm, and I lived beside graveyards, so I grew up on the top of the hill. There was yeah. graveyards all around me. There's a lot of houses there now, but back then, there was only the church. Yeah. The grave, you know, and I, it could be very inventive in the graveyard, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, completely, the, yeah. The best place in the world for, for um, having a tea party. <laughs> yeah, I can believe you there. Now, um, obviously, we're going to be talking today about your collection, aren't we? Dinner in the Fields. Now, there was a quote on there mentioning in the... I mentioned about that, saying you were li you lived, you're living or lived between two graveyards, weren't you? So, yeah, that's what everyone's wondering. Obviously, that's where it came from. I heard that. I know that's why I mentioned before. So, now, do you want to tell people, obviously, about about your collection, Dinner in the Fields? Where this, where it actually came from, the idea for this? Well, you see, actually, I although I did a master's, I actually had written back home, Dinner in the Fields, maybe 20 years ago. Wow, I didn't know that. And I haven't kept a, a lot of I had that, and I the other one in the book is picking, it's picking potatoes. Yeah. Some people remember so um, I I had written the, both of those years back, and I just happened to include them um, in my portfolio, and just then included them into this book, and I think, and then to have picked the title from that poem that I'd written twenty years back. Oh. Um, I, I wasn't sure should I do that. I wasn't sure of if the if the poem was even good enough. But there was something about that poem that resonated with me because it's my mother coming to the fields when we were young. Like when we walked to the fields, she would bring us the dinners, ah. and I loved. It was always a different taste, and the you couldn't describe it, but the dinner tastes different than the Tupperware sort of um, container. And I just look forward to that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Like it's um, if anybody gets hold of your book or your collection, so to say, it is really, really vivid. And I, I, I loved reading it all for all the layers before. Now, because you've got something you like, I love the way you picked out, for example, your first piece in the collection, the woman in Waterside House. Why, why did you want to start off with this piece? Sir? Um, I wasn't quite sure what to start with, to be honest. It's a fantastic start. So straight away for it. Well, I, I I chose poems, and I I mean, obviously there were others, and I, I was limiting it because it was a chapbook, and I wanted to, to put in and not to sort of reflect who I am as a woman. Right, um, yeah. So I worked, like I worked as, um, I'd worked as a nurse, I'd worked as a hospice care nurse, but I did work for a time as a social care worker, and I worked with social services, and I would have worked in Waterside House but in the, I worked for five years in social services and I would have worked in Waterside House with abused women and children. And that actually poem I wrote from a prompt in the Masters, in, in the Masters course. Oh. And, and it was, the prompt was, you know, a picture of um, a, a fist over a woman's face. But I, it's, it's over 
it's 20 something years, 24, 25 years ago now since I worked there. Waterside House still exists. And that it just can. Some poems just come out. Some, some, um, I might try to be work them through from somewhere within. Ah, some right, yeah, yeah. I get you completely. Yeah, thanks, Santa. Like it was, um, Venerable Life had in your collection. There is a, it's a very, it's a very varied book. I found quite interested in your choice of style for the third piece in the collection, etchings as well. Now. I, I had wondered if I should put etchings first because it's, it's really me as a young child. Yeah. It's my memory of growing up between graveyards. But I suppose woman, the woman in horse that house was a, a, like an experience outside of that. So I put that first. There's a few poems that relate to different experiences that I encountered along the way. And then there are others that are share, is sort of an, um, expressing my own journey. Right. So etching would be the earliest of that, where, you know, if you're growing up beside graveyard, there was one, a 17th century graveyard, and it was, um, it had tombs, and it's still there, and headstones. They're the very old style, 17th century. And sure, they were, you know, they were full of lichen, and oh, it was overgrown. And then, the, you know, there was a false game, which, in fact, which my mother um, was part of arranging. And they, they, they cleared up the graveyard where you could see everything clearly. But when I was a child, the grass was nearly as tall as the the headstones. And I used to love searching for them and scraping out the names of people. But I'd also imagine them, that I knew them. Once ah. I scraped out their names, I felt I knew the person that was buried there. And I loved doing that because and it was in Latin. You know, a lot of it ah, is in Latin. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Known as a child, I just thought, thought that the style of the letters were very feminine, actually. Like, they weren't like English, you know, they weren't, they weren't like you'd see today. You know, you'd see sort of gold paint and whatever. These were etched into the headstone in a beautiful style and very feminine. <coughs> no, I get you yeah. Fantastic. Now, obviously, well, um, with the yeah. relation to the collection itself, then, like I said before, it's obviously been teased out over many years, this collection. I can see that straight away. With it now, um, I also um, I've just talked entirely for a few of your early pieces. I ones that I, I, lo I loved the new all. I loved all this book. It was a really good chapbook. This, but I did all. I loved particularly well, the one about your son, Moon World. Now I thought that I really got that where they, you were talking about the way you look at different levels of travelling and stuff like that, and it was like I loved it. Now where did, where does your son live then? Obviously, do your son's not living local nowadays, do you? Isn't it? I'm guessing. In New York at the time. Ah, right, that explains why. Yeah, I thought I'd guessed it was like a, a country difference or perhaps an ocean difference between the pair of you, but yeah, in that piece, it's beautiful, beautiful well, that one. So, where that was coming from, it, I, I wanted that to be sort of a universal poem, not just personal to me. In that, I think going through the experience as a mother, and particularly when you're a single mother and um, with three children, I mean, I you know, I, I'm now a single mother. Um, that the the loss of that role, and that's the stage I'm at in life, the loss of that role for me, I know many women will identify with that loss. And I, I wrote that poem from the, although it was my own experience, it's from the perspective of a mother who realizes she cannot um, follow her children everywhere. And yeah. it's like surrendering the role as mother because your children are now adults. And, and I think that's, um, it's kind of, it's sort of a fun, a humorous poem in one way. It's like the son telling the mother what to do, do you know, what she has to do. 
Of course, yes. But there's also the terrible loneliness of a mother when her work is done and she has to surrender the role as mother in the way she was mother. Like, it isn't that you stop being a mother, but it's it's that now I have to be a different mother, you know? Yeah, I do. I mean, we always say with life, life is like this constant evolution, really. And like, it's like I said, it's, you just look, you're moving on from mothering one thing to the, like, nowadays, you can argue, you're a mother of your own words nowadays, aren't you? Like all your little poems are like your own different sort of children, you could argue. I actually right. didn't think about it that way, and maybe that sounds, yeah, mother of my own words. I must take that with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Just well, thinking that yeah. these poems are over, carved out over a number of years. It was like, it was two of them 20 years old, and all the rest have been written in the last um, two and a half years. Wow, because awesome. I, I did the Masters, and then I, start, I, I started to go... Um, attend the over the edge workshops, because I don't know that it would have continued just after the masters. I had the portfolio, but I didn't know where I'd take it, and I wasn't confident. But I found from attending the workshops that, um, I did just uh, uh, towards the end of the masters, I, I just signed up, and that cut, sort of gave me the confidence to keep going, and there was. Other people, and and what's more, I met women my own age. Yes. So something as well. Well, well, they were all ages, but at least there was more than just me. I not not to say I'm not criticizing the masters. I enjoyed it. I and like I got on well with young people, so I had a great time with them, and I really enjoyed them. But it was good to be able to connect to people my own age too. Yeah, I think so as well. Was a writer like it because um obviously we've had we've. we've me and my partner Amanda is a writer as well, both living in the centre of Manchester. We're constantly meeting writers of various ages, certainly varied abilities. Yeah. But it's nice sometimes, like you said, it's you meet people your age. Because it's just yeah, like I, your background I, is used to them and you can relate to them possibly a little bit more. So. Well, I value both, you know, the, the, the experience, but I yeah. think it was great that I was able to do that. And I don't know if I would have continued because I was so... I had only... My intention was to learn skills to have at home myself because I knew I liked writing but I never really had the kind of ambition to bring it so much to the world I might occasionally fantasize that I'd love to write a poetry book but I didn't have a drive to put that bring that to reality and somehow it just happened in because I kept attending the workshops and then there was like submission you know kind of things and suddenly it happened so yeah yeah, yeah of course do you have any sort of regular writing pattern do you when you do your poetry or is it Obviously, you, you sound like I know you're very active in your job, aren't you? So that's why, as I spent like, like my case, I've got a daytime job that takes all my time up. But do you find, like, do you find when you're getting home in the evening, you want to write to you sometimes, or is it like when you get a chance? Um, no, I'm very kind of, I, I say, I'd be very disciplined in what I have to do in terms of work or different things. And I, you know, I pace work for myself. The nature of my work sometimes it's hard to shift over to writing, it it sort of comes, it's random, I, I I sort of write notes in my journal and sometimes they just stream into writing a poem. What I do find good is if I have a prompt, if I'm attending a workshop under the prompt, that focuses me, I might be able to write immediately, but it gives me time to reflect on the prompt. Yeah, yeah, of course. Otherwise, it's just my mood, it's, it's really my mood. And, um, and if the mood is there and... I'm not doing something else, then I write it down and I make them back to it. And sometimes the mood is there and then I'm caught up with something and I'm gone from it. Yeah, get it. So, but I, completely. I, let, I let it live its own life. I don't have 
like I wouldn't I need to write but I always have so sometimes I just write in my journal or I'll write brainstorm things or I need to get things out that way for myself if I need to process I'll write to myself yeah. um, but the writing poetry then I'm submitting is, is taking that a bit further I suppose brilliant yeah, yeah. Now, also, I don't have discipline around writing if that's really take yeah. you with it I'm the same boat, really, so definitely. Now, obviously, um, people that are interested wouldn't know, obviously, this podcast is going on after, but your collection, obviously, is due out on the 13th of March from Flying the Wall Press, isn't it? Now, do you have any sort of... Any, are you going to do any readings for it yet, or are you not sure yet? Well, no, I, well I'm, I'm doing a reading um, on the 24th of March in Atenai locally, and I'm also going to have a launch myself in Galway on the 7th of April, at 6 p.m. in the Black Gate. Um, Brilliant. We'll make sure I get this up for you before the 23rd. Yeah, flat so you can capitalise it straight away. Certainly. Now, another, yeah, I'll be doing another reading at the end of April in um, Speakeasy Sessions in Cork. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Do I like Cork? I do. Cork's Cork's a good city. Got a lot of good memories of Cork when I toured over there in 2010 again as well. But brilliant. Now, um, do you have, what do you have planned after that? Do you are you thinking about a possible second collection somewhat along the line? Um, no, I'm thinking about like this has been a huge experience to have a chapbook. I wouldn't have thought about. Um, I mean, it's a lovely it. It would be a lovely thought, but then when it happens, the reality of it has been really challenging in the sense of putting myself out there and. Um, yeah, I just want to get through this. I know I'll continue writing because that's what I enjoy. I do this just, you know, because I need to. Yeah, so of course, yes. So I kind of like the universe to kind of guide me. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have any any plans about anything. Do you know, I just keep going with this. I, I'm just grateful to keep going with it and learning. I'm still developing, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm always, I'm always a firm believer in writers. I mean, you still develop a good writer will constantly develop into the day they die, basically. So and that's why, so certainly. Now, to conclude, obviously, if we read a few poems on for us, um, if people want to find out more about you, where are they best going? If they want to find out more about me? Yes. In what sense? In your writing sense, we should say. Um, well, they can Google Attractify and... Um, and I know that there's I've been published in a number of magazines, so I'm sure that will come up. In is this the question you're asking me, Andrew? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. Because obviously, if people want to get hold of your collection as well, just just so they know. Well, they can obviously pick they can pick up and fly in the wall press, can't they? So well, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't. I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Um, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, so if fly in the wall and um, press as, at the moment, it can be pre-ordered. And pre-orders are being sent out at the moment, um, so that people will have them for the day of the launch, the 14th of March. So it can be pre-ordered. It can also be ordered on Amazon. Brilliant. And, um, I am. I am also selling some myself. I have um, got a number of books from Isabel and from Brian the WordPress, and I'm selling them myself. Brilliant. So, Brilliant. Good stuff. Right. Well, that's all the questions, or I've got to ask you. So. If you're okay, we'll pause the recording, take a quick break, let you get yourself ready with your poems, and we'll then be back in, back to all our audience in about two minutes' time for you to do some do a few poems for us. Okay, okay. Well, thank you again. It's been brilliant today. I've enjoyed this. 
Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Hang around, everybody. I'll see you on a minute. Spot on, mate. Hi, guys. We're still here. Straight over to my new friend, who's going to read out a few poems for us. Over to you. And the first poem that I'm going to read is called The Woman in Motorcycles. And I wrote this poem because I had worked with women. It's a poem about domestic violence. The Woman in Motorcycles. I have no reason to trust sympathy. When I tell you, I hid for 13 days, waiting for mouth to disappear. I'm asked if I provoked him. The guard called the beating a domestic. Social workers and welfare insist boxes be ticked, slight distrust in their faces. Even so, when you're leaving, look for maintenance. And then the forms, and the forms, and the council informs me the waiting list is years long. And the judge doesn't want to know. Perpetrators, he says, have rights. He convinced me that I cannot live without him. I am nothing and nobody cares. I'm alone. I cannot leave. Easier to pretend my life is full than to face the shame in your eyes, mine and the shame of the world when you are a woman with the fist over your face. Fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant piece to start with there straight away. Ready? Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, uh, moving straight on. When you're ready. Um, the next poem is called Etchings, and I wrote this because I grew up as a child. I grew up between two graveyards, as I said earlier, and one was a 17th century graveyard, and I felt very connected to something there. So it's almost like the spirits speaking to the child, the spirits in the graveyard, or that spirit I connected it. Etchings. There will be no miracles in a graveyard amongst the dead. Little happens in the quiet presence of departed souls. Our 17th century graveyard, Gradler House, became my home. Tall slabs like brothers guarded tombs. Tiny wildflowers, buttercups in old grass, a welcome colour to the dead. At least spirits listened. Tension cannot hear. It cannot bear even its own silence. Spirits heard without ever a word. Fumbled walls of stone reveal their bones. Holding slabs with words in ancient tongue. The intricate letters, hidden names, once carved with grace, now corroded beneath its lichen. Slipping little fingers through each line, clearing moss, powdered line, a child traced slowly into life, etching. Brilliant. Thank you for that again. Definitely is. Yes, yeah, it's a If anyone looks at when you look at on the page, it's quite, you've done it like from what almost like you could say the splitting between two viewpoints, of several viewpoints, and the way you set it out from left. On the right hand side of the page on the left hand you see moving it backwards and forwards but it's beautifully read thank you well it's that's the idea of the, like the spirit part is talking and then the other kind of the one that's here in the world so it's like two two voices in a sense that we all have the, the inner voice 
and the external, you know, negotiating. Yeah, yeah, of course, fantastic. Yeah, I got you. I got you for playing that great stuff. Okay, you've got a you've got you've got two more pieces for us, haven't you, Sam? Well, you want? Well, I read one more because you have mentioned it. Yeah, yes, yes, please, yes, please. Moonlight. It's lonely here, I said to my son. My ears holding his voice, traveling thousands of miles to ether. My eyes gaze from the window. Moon floats on night sky. Stars watch. I miss you. Maybe I could visit. Mom. You cannot follow your children around the world looking for meaning. Go by yourself or stay at home and write a poem. Through the lump in my throat, I muttered, true. Perfect. Thank you for that. I really enjoyed that again. Okay. I think you're going to do one more piece for us to conclude, aren't you? Well, I thought I'd do Our Sleeping Women. And this again is from the graveyard. You know, not all the poems in the book are above the graveyard, but they I think this is one of my own favourites and it's it's about my my fam and uh, my ancestors would have been buried in that graveyard so you know what if a a line of grandmothers so <coughs> this is written in some way for them. Brilliant. Our sleeping women. I think of my grandmothers, their faces etched in mine. Their strength sleeps in my bones. We meet in fields of crows, their voices Old graves slope down from our farm. As a child, I played house, tea sets on tombs, innocent, listening to spirits. Daughters left to work with duty not to themselves, but others who cared little for the objects they'd become. From the clay they cry the song of the crone, dreams of the life unlived. Hope moves in the soil beneath my feet, rises in my breath. They call, willing me on with their work. Don't listen to scavengers who have taken your use, their fear ripping your pleasure. Scream yourself into your body, starve if you need until you're heard, you'll face ours, your womb creator, the only real home, yourself. Fantastic, now excellent. Really, really enjoyed that then. It's a great way for this session, I'll thank you for that. Now to all, the book could be, this podcast will be out just after your book goes out, but I certainly recommend everybody gets hold of this little pamphlet, the chat or chat book, I should explain, it's really well worth your time. Well, thank you today. For, thank you again for this today, my friend. Much appreciated, Atka. So, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you doing this. yeah. Hang around. I need to quit early off mic, but this is Andy N. Signing out. Thank you again, everybody. See you also. Spoken Label. Thanks again for listening to another session of Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label. That's one word. Spoken Label. Full stop, bandcamp.com. And there is over 150 sessions there. So I'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session, there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken later.